virgin all the way. Oh, and it's a beautiful goal! What a winning run comes to an end. A draw against Everton followed by a defeat at home against Leeds. We mull over, especially the attacking options for Leicester. We preview the two games in the league coming up against Fulham and Wolves, transfer talk and an up more. On for Fox sake. Hello and welcome to For Fox sake. My name is Pete Selby and alongside me, Rob Hayes. Rob, how are you? I'm alright, thank you. A little bit indifferent because since we last spoke on the podcast, we've won one, drawn one and lost one. And I think that pretty much sums up the mood at the moment. Indifferent. We're recording on uh, about half five on transfer deadline day, which I've said in that voice because it's the least exciting deadline day I think I can ever remember. Nothing's happened in terms of incomings at Leicester. Do we think it's likely to? Let's kick off with a big question. Do you think we're likely to get anything in the next few hours, Pete? It's all revolving around Hamza Chowdhury, isn't it? Does Chowdhury go to Newcastle, which means that one of the Longstaffs go to Watford, and then whether Charbola then comes from Watford to Leicester? Instantly, it's a signing to replace Hamza Chowdhury. That's the reason. He used to be with uh, Brendan Rodgers back at Chelsea in their youth team. And it's it's going to be a loan signing if it happens, just to cover that area of the squad. So I don't think there's any real alarm about it. It's just a it's just to cover the Hamza Chowdhury sized space. I don't think it's going to clearly cover the the, the hair that's going to be uh, the left. But uh, it's yes, it is disappointing because you want you always want to your club and your team to be involved in some you know oh, look at that guy that we're going to sign or what about this guy in the rumor mill and that it's just not happening that the brightest thing really today that's happened is the fact that i've got a new internet connection at for fox 8 hq and to do once that got implemented and up and running i then connected the tv to it and it automatically downloaded whatever updates and now i've got the yellow screen of sky sports news transfer deadline day and it's obviously on a different setting because it's unbelievably yellow the whole room is now filled with yellow that's the brightest moment of my day so far up until now well until you get to speak to me of course and and the uh, many hundreds of people around the world that listen to for fox sake uh we've got quite a lot to get through in the next hour um, let's kind of kind of stick with transfers for a moment and and pull a question that I think is if it wasn't strongly in the forefront of most Leicester fans' minds as we kind of came into this transfer window, it certainly will be now based on a fairly uh, lackluster forward showing against Leeds United um, at the weekend, and and this kind of I think that has kind of exacerbated people's thoughts of of who we need in but do, do we need I mean we talked about this before your opinion I think Pete was was to to wait until the summer to get the right deal for a new striker to come in and 
be the successor to to Jamie Vardy's throne upon which he has sat so regally for so many years. Um, based on the game against Leeds, would you rush anything through or do you think Leicester will? Because I personally don't. I think that Rodgers has known for a while what would happen if Vardy got injured. He knows what Perez and Iheanacho offer and don't offer. And if they could have got any business done or wanted to get any business done this window, it would not be a knee-jerk last-minute thing. It would be um, carefully um, scouted and considered as all transfers are these days. My answer really is a kind of anything can happen, which is the most obvious thing in the world. I think if the deal was there to be done with a player for a six-month loan that was good enough to play, that came out of the blue then they'll do it. I think if the player who they are currently scouting and they are looking to then maybe make a move for in the transfer window in the summer suddenly became available over the next few hours or whatever, then they would do it. If not, no one. And I, but you have to believe, and it's happening right now, everyone knows, that they are scouring the world for the next person to wear the number nine shirt. It's fairly obvious now that Inacho is not going to be that guy. He is now behind Iosi Perez, who will come on to, in the pecking order behind Jamie Vardy. Vardy can no longer play a full season. You can't predict that any player will play a full season, but still, it's now plainly obvious that this problem he's got with his hip that we've had for a while is never really going to go away. I know it then turned into a hernia, which he's had... Uh, hopefully sorted and maybe back at maybe the weekend is what Rogers has been saying. But I, I just think that they're going to go big in the summer because you look at the squad. I was talking earlier today on a different podcast regarding Leicester and they're asking me questions about Leicester and saying, oh yeah, the squad's so good, the team is so good, they play really good football. Do you think they're going to be top four? What's kind of slightly gone wrong last couple of games? And I say, yeah, the, the squad's brilliant. And it's quite interesting when you talk to, to someone else away from kind of the Leicester bubble, which we are in, in a, in a non-COVID sense, but the bubble surrounding the football club as supporters, as commentators and as podcast hosts. It's interesting to talk to, to a neutral kind of point of view. And and they just turned around and went, your, your defence is excellent and you've got cover. Your fullbacks are fantastic. The midfield is there. It's really just behind the Vardy in that number nine role. You, you really don't have that player. Perez that wasn't really a number nine, and Iniacho hasn't. Iniacho's not really kind of grabbed hold of it, has he? And I just turn around. You, yes, that's exactly right. There is no nothing else really to put. It is that number nine position. When we come on to the two games that we've just had, we'll talk about players who haven't really kind of either stepped up to the mark or just gone off the boil, etc. in their performances. But that is what we need, a new centre-forward. I, I, And again, I've said a thousand million times, they could bring a player in that no one's heard of or no one's thought of. Um, but someone like Edward at... Celtic just fits the bill completely for me and I think they'll probably go for him in the summer because it could well be and I think it won't be one this is this is the only thing I, I, I will kind of some, put down in, in kind of cement as my kind of prediction it won't be one player I think there will be a change in the forward line in the squad as we go into next season we will have Jamie Vardy there I think there's a distinct chance 
that uh, Kelechi will go. I think there's a distinct chance that if the deal's right, uh, Ayazi Perez might even go, depending on whether the deal's right. Big question mark there, because again, wages is currently on, more than likely to see out his contract, etc. And he's part of the squad and he's playing. But I think what they'll do is they'll bring in a big name or supposed decent big signing and then maybe one or even another uh, another two uh, to fill out that number nine role. I think they'll almost not rely on one player as a backup to Jamie Vardy. They'll maybe bring in two and almost go, look, lads, fight amongst yourselves for that second role behind Vardy. Who's going to get the nod this week when Vardy's not playing for various reasons? Hopefully, He's being rested for Champions League football. That would be the aim. And uh, and that's my prediction. I think they'll sign multiple forwards in the summer. So what we do now is we hopefully manage the squad with Vardy being injured and possibly missing games. But when you do that, you can only do so much because when they go out onto the field, you want them to perform. And unfortunately, in the last two games, that side of the performance has not been there. It seemed a little bit blunt, didn't it? And it's it's very easy to to look at it as a whole and say, well, Jamie Vardy was out, so obviously Leicester had nothing going forward. I think the the two games were slightly different, and then in the sense that they can't be the two Premier League games. That is, they can't be generalised in saying Leicester didn't play well in an attacking sense because Jamie Vardy wasn't on the pitch. However, it was a contributing factor, I think more so in the Leeds game, and again, that might sound quite straightforward because we lost the Leeds game, whereas we we managed to draw at, at Everton. But I think against Everton, we were given a lot of the ball. They sat in. They're extremely well organised. Ancelotti knows how to not lose football matches, and they were absolutely intent on not losing the football match. And we, for all of the possession and territory that we had... And we, I think, I think second half particularly, we moved the ball a lot better, and we got ourselves into some good positions. And on another day, yes, we might have got a couple more goals. Um, but in fact, the one that we did get was a um, bit of a howler from Pickford. But just think about what Jamie Vardy did to Leeds in the reverse fixture earlier on in the season. He, we, we counteracted their press unbelievably well. And that kind of thing is led by Jamie Vardy. And I couldn't help but be drawn to watch how Iosi Perez was playing in the central um, forward role against Leeds particularly. And not not for the point of a direct comparison because he's obviously not the same kind of attacker as Jamie Vardy. Um, and there are quite few in the world that are like Jamie Vardy. That's why he's risen to, to such a prolific position over the last few years. But Perez, for most of the game, didn't look like he had a clue where he needed to be, either with or without the ball. And I'm not, for a second, pinning the defeat to Leeds on Iosi Perez. That's not what I'm doing. But at the moment, we're talking forward line. We're talking, did we miss Vardy? Um, yes, we did. Because when, when Leeds had the ball, Perez looks like it takes him a good couple of seconds longer than Jamie Vardy just to turn around and then he takes these tiny little steps and then the ball's gone again and he's got to turn around again whereas I think Vardy is extremely good 
if not one of the best in the Premier League at closing defenders down. Not necessarily going all the way all the way to the defender with the ball, but cutting off passing lanes and just generally putting the frighteners on the defenders. And and then when you've got the ball and Leeds have pressed higher, you know you've got an outlet to spin one into a channel for him to at least have a good go at getting. Whereas we didn't have that outlet with Perez either. So I, I just think general lack of pace in the front three, really, if, if I'm taking the spotlight away from Perez, um, is what we struggled with because we couldn't, even when we got the ball and won it back, which which was quite often, Leeds made a few mistakes. They didn't play, they, they played the Leeds way. They didn't absolutely, completely outplay us. But we didn't have the opportunity to to play those forward passes for players to run onto once we turn possession over because Albrighton, no pace. Madison, not a lot of pace. Perez, no pace. So you're relying completely on Harvey Barnes and he can't do everything, that boy. He's having a wonderful season, but he can't do everything. And another question, I guess, and I feel like I'm generating more questions than than points here, but another question for you, Pete. If Perez, for me, in in terms of the game against Leeds, but in terms of the way that we like to play going forward or the way that we need an outlet, doesn't work in that central role. Neither does Ian Acho. Would Barnes be an option in there as the focal point of the attack to to maybe make start central, but maybe make those runs into the channels and then you could get players um, through the middle like Tielemans and Madison into support, um, but you know you've at least got somebody highest up the pitch to release into either channel rather than leaving him sort of out on the left-hand side. And if you want to do anything quick, it's got to go down that side. I guess the question then would be, who do you put, who do you put in his place? Because the only other winger we've got at the club now is is under. But would Barnes' pace make a difference as the focal point of the attack in Vardy's absence? No, I, I wouldn't play him down the centre. And I think Rogers has said as well, he, he wouldn't. I wouldn't. I don't think it suits his game. Would he be a... He would obviously be efficient in that role because of his pace, because of his skill. And also, he would do something which you mentioned. He would actually scare defenders. They'd be worried about him. If you're the centre-half for Leeds and you're looking at Isaac Perez, you, oh, you do what you want, mate. You, you're not going to run by me and you're going to drop deep. You're going to be in your own half. You're going to be on the halfway line. Why he wasn't further forward, I didn't know. Why... We really missed Vardy in that game. Against Everton, generally, I thought Leicester were excellent, especially in the second half. And the ball, there was never really a clear-cut chance, OK? And you might say, well, that's because a City player maybe didn't find space or the creativity wasn't there. I, I think it was just generally the ball never landed at the feet of a forward. Yes, we scored through a mistake from, from Jordan Pickford, but... It, there was never that one clear-cut chance you can look back and go, well, do you know what? We should have won that because of that X, Y, Z chances. It didn't really happen that way. And then at the end, Everton could maybe grab it. So you walk away with a point and go, OK. But the home game against Leeds was different because you mentioned it running at their defence and getting beyond their defence. Well, if you run at Leeds' defence, it's well known in the Premier League that there can be gaps between their midfield 
and their backline. And if you run at them at pace, uh, you can cause them severe problems. If you can get behind them, you can cause an awful lot of problem. And guess what? In the return game at Ellen Road, we ran at them and then behind them and we scored four goals and, and, and thrashed them, to be honest. In this game, in the first, what, 15 minutes, Harvey Barnes makes one run and they they just couldn't deal with him. A lovely 1-2 and we're 1-0 up. Okay. Leads are always going to create chances going forward and they end up getting back into the game. But you're looking at it right, well, it doesn't matter. We've got Yuri Tillemans. He can play the ball through. You've got Barnes, who's running their defence. They're scared. Uh, Madison should be able to find a lot of space, which I think he actually did. Uh, and hopefully then he could use it, which he didn't. And I think overall, that would be the reason. It, it's not necessarily to do with the game plan or to do with either a formation. I thought the changing formation at halftime um, or just after halftime was, was fine. I thought I thought that was a, a very apt thing to do. And it looked like it was working. It, it solidified Leicester because Leeds were slightly getting on top towards the end of the first half, I thought. And... Overall, you then just have to look right towards the pinnacle of the forward line and go, OK, Iosi Perez. And it's quite easy to point at him and go, it's your fault. I mean, funny though, it's your fault, many of it, because he's playing as a number nine against a lead side where you need to be slap bang on their back line. Why? Because you're not going to run from deep with the ball. You've got Harvey Barnes. You've got Jenkins under coming off the bench to do that sort of thing. You've got the ball being brought forward at pace by someone like Yuri Tillemans, who's not exactly slow. Madison's not exactly slow. So you need to occupy that forward line, and he didn't. Uh, when he received the ball, I thought he was quite poor in possession. And overall, he was just... He, he, he tries to do a turn where... He'll get the ball and say if he's running away from the camera, for example, across the pitch sideways and he's running, he'll try and quickly turn to his left, say, using his right foot, quickly turn and almost try and nutmeg the guy or just slide every time. And it's a very simple move to do. And if it works, then fine. But it generally doesn't work. That's his only real move. And I think there is a player there, but I don't like him as a number nine, especially at home in this situation. We really, really miss Vardy. And overall, because that wasn't working, you then rely on your other players. I thought Madison was very poor, very, very poor. His dead ball was awful, absolutely dreadful. In this game and the Everton game, actually, uh, the delivery was, was really, really poor. Uh, you look at the second goal, which was, and you look at the two tails of two number nines, uh, Banford had a great game, took his chance fantastically. It was from a terrible free kick by Madison once again. and um, And he's... He's, he was poor. Those two games, he was very poor. Barnes was quiet in the second half. And it was just a missed opportunity. Um, someone like Cengiz Under came on probably too late in the day to, to maybe influence the game. You can't really say label any blame on him or, or say he should have played better. But you look at that game and you look at the lead side and I you, you just look at it and go, that was a, a real chance for Leicester to ultimately move into second place in the league. Now, you could take one view and say, well, other results kind of went our way. I quite like at this time of year to say it doesn't actually make any real difference because we're so way off the end of the season to try and compare our results to nearest rivals. Yes, it's nice to do, but it's not the be-all and end-all. It's not like we're on a closing run towards the end of the season. But it opens... 
it, it, it asks a lot of questions of the squad. When you look at these two games in a nutshell, I thought Perez was okay against Everton. Different game. That sort of game. Away this week when we go and play um, away at Wolves and away at Fulham. I can see Perez playing well in those two games and really benefiting the system Leicester will play. But at home, when they need to, especially against Leeds, especially against a Leeds side, they would probably be the number one side where you would need or would love to have a Jamie Vardy when you're playing at home and it just didn't work now do we look at Perez and say it's not worked bin him and play Kelechi Inacho or do you look at the game and go it just needed that on the last man number nine player and he's just not that guy now obviously he should have been in that position but what do you do with him what what, what do you do the fact is you've just got to move forward and hope he bags a goal. Yes, he had one disallowed for offside, but there you go. You're hoping he's going to bag a goal because he's a decent player. He can finish the ball decent in the air, but he needs to get in those positions. He needs to look like he wants to be a number nine. He doesn't look that player to me. He looks like he's almost saying to the manager, look, I'm going to be a number 10. I'm just going to stay. That's no good. That's no good. You're in that side to be a number nine. Do it. If you want to drop slightly deep, that's fine when you're playing away from home because it works. When you're at home, you've got to be on that last man. If Leicester, which they didn't do enough, but if they manage to get to the byline and play the ball back or play the ball across a six-yard box, generally, Iosi Perez was the guy coming into the area. He wasn't already in the box. He was coming late into the box. That's not his position. That's where Madison plays. It's It was frustrating. It was almost like it would have been better to have Madison playing in that role and then have maybe Jengez under on the, on the team already. So you've got two quick wingers and then the deep-lying centre-forward would have been James Madison in probably his most natural position. Because if Perez wasn't going to play as number nine, I'd rather have Madison there, even though he had a dreadful game. It's interesting because obviously we will never know how accurately Iose Perez uh, sort of put into action his instructions from Brendan Rodgers and and the game plan that was that was supposed to be taking place because I mean the game plan with with Vardy is fairly simple in terms of the service that you need to get to him and the options that he brings and I don't think for a second that Brendan Rodgers would have gone right we're going to play exactly the same way with Ayosi Perez and try and play him in exactly the same position but it would be interesting to know if if Perez was that far away from playing on the shoulder of the last defender because he'd been instructed to or because he just naturally gets sucked away from being the number nine and into the number 10. It was almost at times like somebody particularly like Barnes was deliberately for Leicester supposed to be playing higher up the pitch than Iosi Perez, which is... It's quite rare to see, and and it's kind of like I mean I don't want to put this kind of a, a certain formation label on it as such, but it's kind of like a false nine, which is seemingly a bit of a mythical concept anyway. Um, well, it's exactly a false nine. Is yeah, it, it is. It, it is exactly but, but there are only nine. certain players in certain teams that can do that effectively. There's a reason that pretty much every team starts with at least one recognised striker 
And that's because they're supposed to be the person who's furthest forward, like you say, the person who's already in the box for chances, the person who's occupying the centre-back or centre-backs, and the person who scores the most goals in the team that season. There's a reason most teams play most games with a striker. Manchester City have played with false nines at times this season because they've only got two strikers, both of whom have had some quite significant injury problems. So Jesus and Aguero out you've got to play an attacker kind of like a forward but not a striker in terms of like Sterling. I think Torres played there a few times um, as your central point of your attack who almost sits a bit deeper and then the two either side in the attacking three are the ones that are expected to go beyond the defensive line and that's fine. There's only really one other team that you hear about that are playing a false nine occasionally uh, and that's when Barcelona start with Messi as on the on the formation graphic at the start of the game, he is at the sometimes in in certain games he is the central man in a three man attack, and you expect him to play in a false nine because it's Lionel Messi. Okay, Iosi Perez is not that good, and Leicester City are not that good to be able to play a false nine. Liverpool can probably do it. And, and they kind of do, really. Firmino's not an out-and-out out number nine, is he? Most of the time. But they've got such a fluid front three and they've got threats from everywhere. Whereas, and, and Firmino still offers something to the team. Whereas I didn't see Perez do any of that. And it would really be interesting if you could just ring up Brendan Rodgers and get him on for fuck's sake and say, Brendan, did you tell Ayosi Perez to be that deep? Were you trying to play with a false nine? Or was it just that's what Perez naturally does? Um, because if he wasn't asked to do that, then I find it difficult to believe that he'd get away with it for that long under Brendan Rodgers. If Brendan wanted him to play as number nine right up in the faces of the defenders and be the focal point of the attack, then surely, even if he didn't like it, he'd have to do it. Otherwise, he'd drag him off. It's Do you put a, uh, a square peg in a round hole? Do you tell Ozzy Perez to be straight up there as a number nine, or do you say, right, you play in your natural position and we'll just move the players further forward so you're com- you're more comfortable where you are and the rest can kind of adapt to you- to your position. If you were going to play... And-, and I know there'll be a lot of people shouting now going, oh, false nine this and that's that. You know, if you're a number nine, you need to be up right at the top. I generally agree with that, especially at home against Leeds. You need a number nine right up there play our way, and we should win. If you go then away from home and you're looking to be a bit more solid and you want to play Perez in that role, then I think it would be fine as well. You do need pace out wide. You need the two wide players. If we were ever going to play that role, um, I would like Under on one side and Barnes on the other because you need pace. Because generally you need to get beyond that back man to then pull the ball back. An ideal Leicester goal, and you see... Uh, Liverpool, for example, score that kind of goal in on many occasions. You need the pace. And if you were going to play that role, you could then have three in midfield, nice and easy, and Didi or Mendy with Tillemans, and then James Madison being slightly further forward in maybe, say, a number eight role. Perfect. With a false nine, that would be an ideal scenario. You can't have Madison out wide of that false nine player. He's not quick enough. You need him more central. Um but that, that's going to be the scenario. Or do you just stick Kelechi and Acho up top? Again, I don't think that's going to happen because he hasn't played for the last few games. I I, just, I don't think that will happen. I think they're going to try 
and just get that goal for Perez or get a performance like against Everton to bring other players into the game. I'd be amazed if they throw the dice with Kelechi. It might have been that might have been the idea. The idea might have been you play against Everton and Leeds and then Kelechi, this is your chance. You'll be against uh, Watford uh, Fulham and we'll decide then against Wolves who's played the best almost or something like that you never know um I wouldn't be I wouldn't be surprised if even that's the case but it's it's awkward isn't it it is awkward because that was the issue it really was the issue um away from that the interesting move to play with three at the back again because of how the game was going I thought it was the right decision um unfortunately in that role you then because you've got the five defenders, you're going to play with either the two in midfield and then the three forwards. Again, that means that there's no pace out wide with Madison being that wider player. Um, if you were going to play three midfield, the, the ideal scenario would be to play the three midfielders then um, and Madison further forward in a central position with then the two up top. But then, unfortunately, the two up top are going to be Barnes and maybe Perez. Well, that wouldn't quite work. So the scenario there isn't ideal, again, without a Jamie Vardy. So plenty of questions going forward. I think the rest of the team were, was absolutely fine. I thought Mendy has played well um, in the games since he's uh, been brought back into the side. He's not, obviously, Wilfred and Didi. Uh, Mendy's plays to a certain level, a really, really good standard, you know, a very solid Premier League player. But then Wilf is just way beyond that. And he's a big miss. He's a big miss at the back on set plays. He's a big miss going forward and just disrupting play, moving the ball quicker. It's a real shame, but it's not the end of the world. They need to sort it. They don't want to turn this into a bad run at all, especially with all the games we've got coming up in February, a game every midweek and every weekend in various competitions. It's... I don't think anything to worry about because the performance overall I think was of a very good standard for if you're going to split say the the, the two games into halves so you got four halves I think you can look at that and go I would say Leicester for three of those halves were very good or or, or, or very decent for a couple they were very good I thought uh, in their overall play Madison's a big worry because we rely on him so much, especially without Vardy. It was Madison. It was, come, on, come on, Madison. You've had a really good run of things. You've been playing very well, scoring goals. Here you go. And then all of a sudden, when you need him to really turn up, because there's more, um, I don't want to say pressure, uh, but you need him because you haven't got Vardy. You know, the, the, it's you become more important. Unfortunately, he's just had a downturn in form and quite quite a downturn as well because that I think against Everton mate it was it was disappointing he was he, he was poor but then you look at the Leeds game and you go right here's your chance you're at home um no problems with say conditions or whatever because it was horrible at Everton but overall it's a perfect game really for you you're gonna get a lot of space and he did and unfortunately he had an absolute shocker uh, gave the ball away for their first goal, which was a very good move, but there you go. I don't know whether Castagna was slightly impeded by what turned out to be a slight groin pull for him to get back. He didn't really look like he was 
going at any proper speed. I think it was very well highlighted at half-time about him getting back and he should have really covered. But um, it was a very good goal, but it came from a Madison mistake. Their second, it was, and I said just before taking the, the free kick, he's as I was watching with my uh, with my dad, and I said to him, "I says it's very square here. We're 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 right in the middle of the of the field, and you're trying to chip the ball into the penalty area, and you are very central. That's going to take. You're going to have to hit it on top of sixpence here. Anything short is going to be easily defended, and anything long, even slightly, is going to go over the line of attack and and defence because they're all in straight line, and it's going to go out of play for a goal kick. That's going to. So of course he tries it. It's short." Very easily headed out, and then they break away and score. Great goal, uh, great finish. But again, another mistake. His corners were poor, free kicks were poor, and I think just general plays passing was poor. And he plays with an air of um, of no pressure, of flair, and and tries the quick ball, and that's what we want, and that's what Brendan Rodgers has said all the time. And I don't want him. I don't want that to be taken away from him at all. But there is a time and a place to do that, and that's more than likely is further forward. When you're dropping deep or you're playing further back, as he said in interviews, he's been playing slightly deeper and given more responsibility. You need to make that pass more times than not. Look at Yuri Tillemans. How many times? It's very obvious when Yuri Tillemans misplaces a ball. When he passes the ball and it gets intercepted, it doesn't quite work out. It's quite a thing now. You know, you used to sit back and go, oh, my God, he's misplaced a pass. And then when he goes further forward, he has that defence-splitting pass. He really, he, such a great player. James Madison, he can do that further forward. He has the defence-splitting pass. He has that skill and guile and flick around the penalty area. That's what we want. But when you drop deeper, and this is what I was saying early on in the season, you need to keep possession of the ball don't give the ball away. If there is a risky pass, yes, try and take it on. But if there is a sensible option, take it when you're further back towards the halfway line because ultimately in the Premier League, you're going to get caught out. And that's what's happened. He needs to play more like Yori Tillemans when he's further towards the halfway line. But as he gets further forward, then play your tricks and try your stuff because we know he's a good player. But he's had two shockers. Yeah, I think Madison's doubly disappointing because of the lack of Jamie Vardy. It was a real opportunity for him to prove that he can be the talisman for the team. He's talked about as as the creative flair, as uh, um, I think one commentator in, I can't remember whether it was the Leeds game or the, um, or the Everton game, said that Leicester will rely on his set-piece deliveries. And I thought, flipping heck, I hope not because we hardly ever score from a set-piece. And some of his set pieces this season have been absolute tripe. So I really hope we're not relying on them. Uh, and as it turns out, Leeds United relied on them for scoring their own goals. Um, but, you know, he's wearing the number 10 shirt, a, a club that is desperate to qualify for the Champions League this season. The number nine, the golden boot winner from the Premier League last season is out for a few games. The team are guaranteed to miss his attacking threat. Uh, guaranteed to miss his goals, and James Madison basically goes missing. Now, it, may, it might just be coincidence, it might just be bad timing that he's hit a bit of a blip, because let's say, what, eight, ten weeks ago, we were sitting having a similar conversation about Madison, but happily, three, four, five weeks ago, we were saying, ah, oh, here we go, he's on a run of goal-scoring form. 
he's creating things. He looks like everything he touches is going to turn into a little bit of magic. And now after the last couple of games, we're back into the sort of down downward end of the curve again for Madison. And and I think in order for him to to exist as a number 10 at a what hopefully will be a Champions League club and to get himself on the squad list for Gareth Southgate um, is he needs to be performing consistently and having a positive impact on games consistently. And God, did we need him in the last couple to just pull something that we know he's capable of out of the bag. And it didn't happen. Now, if Madison's, let's say it's kind of like uh, an athlete that is trying to uh, taper their training so that they peak for a, a particular event or race. And let's say if Madison had the peak that he hit a few weeks ago, if he'd hit that in the last couple of games against Everton and Leeds, we could be sat here having a different conversation in terms of we could be sat here saying Madison grabbed the game by the scruff of the neck, knew Vardy was out, knew it was his job to take on the attacking threat. Because let's be honest, if you're James Madison, you've got more of an idea about football than me and you, which is not difficult, P, let's be honest. But you would probably know that Perez or Iheanacho coming into the front line is going to blunt it quite considerably. So you would know that it's on you. Not totally on you, but all the same, large amount of responsibility, which he seems to want to accept and to thrive on. And it just didn't happen. And I really hope it's just a couple of games blip and it was just one of them where he just needs to get going again and he'll pick things back up because it's 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 incredible the, the improvement in his set-piece delivery when he's playing better in the game is notable. And he wasn't playing very well in the last couple of games and his set-pieces were rubbish. So... Everything kind of comes together for Madison. It's not like he does one or two things brilliantly and a couple of other things badly. It kind of ends up being either all distinctly average um, and, like you say, hitting the hitting the free kick short for the Leeds goal a few times that he, he fails to clear the first man from a corner or a free kick. He's either doing it all like that or his set pieces are on point and he's bagging goals and he's threading balls through for people. If he, if he can sustain 8 or 9 out of 10 most weeks, that's how he gets to be a regular number 10 at a Champions League club. It, it, it's, it's, I'm not saying I'm worried, but it's it's a little bit disappointing that we're seeing so many ebbs and flows in his form um, and we're only halfway through the season. Yeah, it, it's ultimately disappointing. That is the word, isn't it? You're looking at Madison to step up in that role. didn't happen. After playing so well for the previous, say, five or six games. Hopefully it's just a blip. And I completely agree with you, all or nothing really with Madison. Dreadful set plays. Really, really poor. And he needs to get the the message that if you're going to try one or two things on, on set pieces, then fine. But ultimately, if you've delivered the ball into the area and it's been poor, it's been cleared by the first man, and you're trying to, to whip it in low, so just get there at the near post... Well, if it hasn't worked for a couple of tries, get the ball into the box. A nice, deep ball towards maybe an Evans who's just hung further back. Or, guess what? Get an outswinger and aim for the penalty spot and get people running in on the ball. And you never know. 
Like, just try a simple option once every now and again because ultimately you could have seven callings in the game and look back and go, do you know what? All seven never either beat the first man or were too long or were just easily dealt with. And overall, we haven't taken advantage or even looked, and, and this is more the point really, hasn't looked anywhere close to getting anything from a set play. We've had a, a few little uh, set play manoeuvres against Chelsea, for example, worked absolutely fine. And in his interview afterwards, great, yeah, fantastic. But we're talking dead ball situations when you cross in the ball. And that's not just from corners, but from free kicks as well. You know, almost sometimes it's not hard just to take stock and deliver the ball into an area which can be then attacked by the people in the penalty area. Almost it's not down to you. It's all you have to do is deliver the ball into an area and then let the rest take their chance. And I don't think that happens enough at Leicester at all. Um, I know we're not the biggest side in the world, but when you've got on the field someone like Soyun Chu at one point, Soyun Chu, Fafana and Evans, well, that's not bad. And you throw Wilfred and Didi into the mix and all three, four of those flying at the ball, well, you're looking like a, a good attacking side, especially, I think Fafana's been very unlucky at times this season going forward in the penalty area, um, how he hasn't scored, and I'm speaking through him a pocket there as well, but... Um, and someone like Soyuncu coming forward. I mean, if you're a centre half and you see him trotting up into the area, you're thinking, Christ, it's uh, it's an area of the game Leicester need to work on, just along with defending as well. But um, I will always, always um, wait until Ndidi's back into the side because that's such a big miss. It happened against Brentford in the cup with the ball bouncing off the thigh or the knee of, of Papi Mendy. All of a sudden it was there and then bundled into the back of the net. Overall, the performance was very good and, and we're through to the next round of the Cup and we play what Brighton on, on Wednesday the 10th. And uh, again, just to keep the, the run of games, two games a week up. But we play Fulham on Wednesday night and then we go to Wolves. Two similar games, I'm going to say, Rob, because both sides are solid. Uh, Fulham, since their their win at the King Power, they've turned into a very solid side. Uh, full credit has to go not only to the players, but to the manager as well, Scott Parker, who, when he got promoted with Fulham, you looked at it and gone, right, good job. How are you going to do in the Premier League? And then all of a sudden you start terribly, it's not working out, and it could be very easy for the manager to try and keep what he's seeing on the training field, keep the shape, maybe change one or two players, uh, ask for a load of signings that he maybe doesn't get in January and ultimately gets fired. That happens all the time. But no, he decides to change their style, become more solid, uh, change one or two players round and say, we are not going to concede goals, but we have players who going forward can be dangerous. Now that all started at Leicester. And they've really, since then, turned into a very solid side. Picking up more draws than wins, uh, but they do have a chance, which they plainly looked like in the first couple of months of the season. They just looked nails that they were going to go down. Now they have a chance. Uh, and then you look at Wolves, and it's quite simple with Wolves. Without their... It's, well, <laughs> look at Leicester and Wolves. Without their talisman, they kind of are a, a different side. Wolves, though, they really have dropped off the face of the earth. They are, are they a warning to Leicester to say, look, 
when you don't have your number one striker and you don't really have an adequate replacement at all, this is what can happen. And they've turned into a very, they're always a, a solid, an ultra solid side, but they've turned now into a, a side where if they draw nil-nil or they get a point, they almost turn around and go, do you know what? That's fine. We've got a young side here and we're just going to play out this season and try and get as high as we can. We're not going to threaten the top four. Top six is probably a way off now. It's just a case of trying to get Raul Jimenez back and see if he can be a footballer again. Unfortunately, with the injury, that's the scenario. And then maybe go on from the summer with maybe a new forward line. So the two games away from home against two similar clubs and similar styles, should I say, really similar styles rather than clubs. And I think, even on the back of two disappointing results, but overall solid and more than decent in places performances, I'm actually quite optimistic. And I mentioned a bit of a a preview of the preview earlier, that I think if they do play... Ozzy Perez in these two games, it would actually help because we are away from home against solid sides, and he playing in a false nine position, um, um in a false nine position, uh, could really draw out their defence, and then we could attack down the sides, and away from home it can be a lot more effective than it would be at the King Power, and and I'm confident, Rob. I I really am confident. It's. It's surprising, especially at Fulham. If we get a victory at Fulham, then I'm very confident about us going to Molyneux and, and, and taking advantage of a, of a weakened Wolves side. Uh, so yeah, as much as it's slightly gone off the boil, I'm, I'm pretty buoyant still. I think we've got to put it into context of the fact that the, the defeat to Leeds was, uh, ended quite a decent unbeaten run, I think of seven. Um, and we are still in the top four, and we're there on merit. Nobody can uh, knock us down unless Everton win their two games in hand and and score a hatful of goals in the process. So we're we're there, not not by having played more games or anything. We we're, we're there. We're we're top four, which is fine. And what we've managed to do, which some other clubs haven't quite so well maybe like a I'm looking at Southampton say who've lost three in a row or you know Aston Villa who've lost three of the last five we've managed to maintain a run of results or some some consistency consistently picking up points to keep ourselves in that position what's important now is the response to make sure that that one red L doesn't become two or three and that you continue to pick up the points because it's so congested up there. You, you've got to, I mean, we've got to look at the league table and, and where we are and where we want to be because ultimately that's your barometer of how you compare with the rest of the, the teams in the Premier League. But so, so we've got to maintain the momentum. And I think there's, there was certain rumblings in, in particularly in sort of national media who like to get on the back of any old story that uh, this could be the beginning of Leicester City's uh, Leicester City tailing off quite dramatically like uh, like the second half of last season, which I don't think the seasons can be really compared in that sense because there was a lot of contributing factors to our eventual uh, tumbling out of the top four. 
But then you look at teams like Wolves and Fulham, and we've got every right, you've got every right to be optimistic. Pete, I will allow your optimism and I'll absolutely run with it because we're away from home, which which seems to benefit us at the moment. Um, Fulham haven't scored very many. So even if we are struggling for goals ourselves, dare I say one, possibly two should be enough. We should be able to keep them out. They're fairly... Um, fairly weak from an attacking point of view, and so are Wolves for the reasons that you've just mentioned. So, And and, and defensively, I think we're very good, uh, regardless of whether we, we're going to approach it with a four or whether we go to a three at the back and play wing-backs to try and find a way of getting more bodies forward to support Perez or Iheanacho, whoever plays up front. Um, I think defensively, we should be absolutely fine. So it's just about finding a way to unpick, as you say, a, a Fulham defence, which has become a lot more solid, um, and a Wolves defence, uh, a Wolves team, really, that, that don't very often give you uh, give away that much. So I'm, I'm quietly confident as well for, for us to get straight back on the... Uh, Straight back onto winning ways, maybe four points away from home in those two games would be fine. Six would be brilliant, of course, but it needs to happen, doesn't it? Because if, let's say, we pick up a draw and a defeat, or even a couple of draws, we're having a, we're having a bit of a not a wobble here today, but we're we're talking about some mild concerns that we've got, and they will be sort of put back to the back of the mind if we, we get the right resource against Wolves and Fulham. But if we don't, and then that goes to, let's say, four games without a win, regardless of whether they're draws or defeats, that all of a sudden, that stutter could quite easily see you fall out of the top four. And it could quite easily raise questions in the backs of the players' minds. And, you know, momentum is so important, as I've just said, and the players need to go out believing every week that they're going to score goals, that they're going to play well, that they're going to win games. So sooner the better we get back on it. Um, and Fulham and Wolves offer us two good opportunities for that. Yes, uh, just a, li- a little bit of news, which when you're listening to this, the transfer deadline would already have been passed more than likely. Uh, apparently, and from Rob Dorsett, who works for Sky, been down to King Power loads of times, spoke to him actually on more than a few occasions, and a, a decent person to follow on on Twitter. One or two would mention um, Rob Dorsett, John Percy, who writes the Telegraph, very good uh, to follow on Twitter. Those two really, um, I would say, regarding Leicester from a national press point of view, um, are excellent to follow. And he's got Leicester likely to repel the loan request uh, from... Newcastle for Hamza Chowdhury. Leicester won't pursue any interest then uh, in um, Nathaniel Chubler at, uh, at Watford, uh, likely to give Chowdhury more game time instead. So I think what Rogers said today was they don't want to push, they're not pushing Chowdhury out the door. But if there was going to be a permanent deal done, then I don't think they're going to stand in, they're not going to stand in this way. And more than likely, Hamza Chowdhury won't be at Leicester at the start of next season. He will go in the summer. Um, that then gives Leicester ample opportunity to bring someone from the youth team through to be the number three, say, in a defensive role in midfield. Um, I would possibly like them to, if someone like Kieran Jewsby Hall is going to be 
a player who goes further forward, then I would like them maybe to have a, a, a player in midfield who is more of an all-rounder. Someone who could play alongside Yuri Tillemans, but then could also play alongside a Wilfred Ndidi or Papi Mendy, say, in a creative role. So you're not labelled, because at the moment we have kind of all or nothing. You've got Yuri Tillemans, obviously exceptional player, but he's the creative player. And then his defensive partner is Wilfred Ndidi, ultra-defensive really, but exceptional. And Papi Mendy, again, ultra-defensive. Then we don't have that all-round general midfielder that's the kind of player I think Leicester really would need if they were to lose and I think that's what they tried or possibly have tried with Hamza to turn him into or to try and bring out in his game a a more attacking play and forward pass and if he doesn't have that then there you go and if he doesn't have that that means he's going to be number three at Leicester and at his age he wants to play football so I think more than likely he's going to move on so that's more maybe in the summer but um, yeah just go back to these two games very interesting games does one roll into another does the result against Fulham give Leicester any more chance then of going to Wolves and winning well confidence and a good performance and a win is always a good thing um, but I would I would generally say so here uh, it might more it might mean more than it normally would purely on the basis of if indeed and Vardy is going to be missing from these two games which I think more than likely they will um, I just don't think they're going to be risked at all even if it's a chance of being on the bench or more than likely on the bench I don't think it'll be a risk to start um, in any games because of all the games we've got coming up uh, and, I, and I think with the two not performance, not not results behind us. It's the performances. So you look at the Perez and you look at Madison, the two obvious examples. Because I think everyone else has been very good. Everyone else has been great. You look at those two players and you go, well, if you, you two need a good, they both need good performances against Fulham if they're in the side. Um, if they don't play well and ultimately Leicester don't get a result, even a draw, say. And one or both of Madison and Perez then play poorly. What do they do against Wolves? Because they are first-team players. They are two names who would always be in the side without, obviously, Jamie Vardy instead of uh, Izzy Perez. So, Rob, what would you do then? If we do play poorly against Fulham, uh, or sorry, if we don't get a result against Fulham and Madison and or Perez plays poorly, do you then make the change um, and just say, look, you're out of form. You've had a, a couple of games, three games now where you've been poor. Um, we're going to make the change. Or do you then roll on to the Wolves game and go, right, here's your last chance or you really need to step up now. What would you do in that scenario? If they win against Fulham and play well, it's nice and easy. Same team, go to Wolves, do the same. It's a tricky one because Perez has clearly been deliberately chosen as the as the front man for the last two games in the absence of Jamie Vardy. It was always going to be, um, it, it was kind of a question of would it be Perez or would it be Inacho? Um And he's chosen Perez. So you've got to balance up whether you think Acho, regardless of what form you think Acho is in, you've got to weigh up whether you think he's going to offer more to the game than Iosi Perez will or has done. 
And whether you pull in Perez out is just going to turn him into an even less confident, even less effective player than he was in the games that you've pulled him out for. Um, I think the problem here is, and and I genuinely thought this when I saw the bench for the for the Leeds game, is that you look down the bench, and I'm looking at it now. You've got Soyuncu, Ward, Ianacho, Amati, Under, Chowdhury, Ricardo, Fuchs, and Thomas. You got one, two, three, four, five defenders on the bench, a goalkeeper, a defensive midfielder. And then you've got a winger and a striker. So we're not exactly spoilt for choice. And it'll be interesting to see how we approach the Fulham game. Um, because it might, it might be that somebody like... If, if it was me, I would, for the Fulham game, I would make uh, a single change... Um, in terms of tactically, it might be that it's likely that Ricardo is going to have to play instead of Castagna um, for for this one, which is fu- which is great uh, to give Ricardo a go from the start and see if he's got ninety minutes in him. It's is is as good a time to do it as any because he he looks like he's he's been brought back in gradually. I'd start under instead of All Brighton, and it's not really because I think All Brighton played badly, but I think for all of the reasons that we've talked about. In terms of the the shift in um, in in the point of the attack, the under would offer more to a front three than all Brighton. Now, all Brighton playing in a team where Vardy is playing um, and everybody's a little bit more confident is fine. But I think if you've got under and Barnes playing off the right and left respectively, so coming inside onto their stronger f- foot. That that could offset the the lack of potency that Perez dropping deep causes, because you know Under is happy to run at players all day. So is Harvey Barnes. Those two are going to occupy the defenders, particularly if they're coming in and if they're coming inside and getting themselves in and around the penalty area. They they could form a very um, dangerous front three. Uh, it's about time Under got a chance to show what he can do from the start, uh, and it and it's a good time to do it because, you know, we we didn't create anything particularly clear cut against Everton. You could say that they defended well. You could say it didn't quite land for us, or you could say um, that Leicester could and maybe should have created something more themselves. Uh, we didn't really worry Leeds particularly, so now's a good time to make that tweak. And if you stick with Perez, you say, right, I'm backing you. Iheanacho's used to be playing second fiddle. It doesn't matter who too, surely. Um, and then Under and Barnes are the ones where you're looking for them as your real danger men. And that will, in turn, if you trust Papi Mendy enough to sit, that will in turn allow, with Under and Barnes, particularly Under, I think, is probably going to wander inside more. It will allow Ricardo to get round him on the right-hand side and and hopefully have some joy down the side. So that that's the change that I make. But if he sticks to the same and it is completely flat against Fulham, then surely there has to be some kind of change. Would that change be Perez for Inacho uh, for Perez? Rather, I don't know. But surely, if Perez plays anything like he did against Leeds against Fulham, 
then surely it can't be any worse to give Iheanacho a go. At least Iheanacho has put the ball in the back of the net a few times. Well, I, I said earlier um, regarding IOG Perez, I think this game and Wolves would actually suit him. So it was a kind of a preview of what I had as my team. I've got exactly the same, Rob. I've gone with Ricardo obviously starting instead of Castagna. I've got Under and Harvey Barnes as the wide players in the forward three with then Ozzy Perez in the middle who will play as the number nine but more than likely will drop slightly deep but still be that number nine in the middle of under one side and Barnes the other. Now the midfield would be Papi Mendy and Yuri Tillemans and then obviously James Madison. James Madison in a number kind of eight role so him and Perez would be more central and that for me would give it would give Leicester something in, in, in the centre, but also it would give probably more, not just for those two players, but it would give more for attacks on the wings because it would be quite solid. Uh, it would occupy their defensive midfield and their back line, and it would give more uh, for our wingers to take advantage, especially on what would be the rights with whether it would be James Justin or more than likely it would be Ricardo, obviously, on that side. So you got Ricardo, as you said, with Under. Those two could really stay out wide. Under could really stay out on that position because, again, you've got the forward in the centre just slightly dropping deep and then just immediately further back from him would be, in theory, James Madison. It would work technically quite well, you know, in, 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 a, in a plan as we're doing now off the top of our heads, although I have slightly written it down. And then on the other side, it would be exactly the same. You've got Barnes and you've got Justin in behind. And again, in the centre, it's quite solid. If you're looking to counter-attack or, or in general, Leicester City first-team folklore, it would be obviously Vardy in the centre. But because of this, because of having Perez there, I think it would be under. Shame for Mark Albrighton, but there you go. It's nothing to do with him. It's just to try and get under into the side, to have those two quick wingers either side of Perez. That's what's important for me. You need those two. And one of those is not Mark Albrighton. He could easily come back into the side in any way, shape or form as sees fit. But there we go. That's just the the way it is. And then see what happens. If it doesn't work out in one way, shape or form, then I wouldn't be adverse into throwing... Kelechi and Acho into the starting lineup against Wolves and say, look, mate, here you go. Here's your chance. It's not worked with Perez. Let's just say he has a shocker um, against Fulham. It just doesn't work. Then, sorry, mate, you've had your chance. You've played three games. And if it's not worked, uh, then you're going to have to go on the bench. And then we'll, we'll play in Acho and, and, and go from there. And then hopefully it won't be for long. It might be just for a game because then you look at the next game after that being the cup game against Brighton, which ultimately is a very important game because it's a great chance for Leicester to get beyond the fifth round of the FA Cup. But also, it seems to me like a nice game at home to play someone like Kelechi Iheanacho up front with a view to bring in a Jamie Vardy on late for, say, the final half an hour to give him a run out to make sure he's fully primed for the game on Saturday after which is at home to Liverpool. So Vardy, his return is all about Liverpool for me. And with the rumours circulating about Vardy and his his um, his fitness, 
I would be quite surprised if we actually see him in these two games. I can see him playing against Brighton, and we'll do a podcast before the game, but I can see him making a reappearance there and then being in the first team against Liverpool. I think that would be the plan. And if he's fine in that game, then obviously we'll play then um, away in Europe and he should be okay. Um, Wilfred Ndidi, I'd say something quite similar, actually. I'd imagine Wilfred Ndidi would be, again, if they don't have to play him in these two games or more than likely against Wolves, then I don't think they will. And then Wilfred Ndidi could easily maybe even start against Brighton and with a view to bring Mendy on, vice versa. I think that looks to be kind of the scenario. And also, I think in terms of Jamie Vardy, because obviously the <laughs> the, the Wilfred Ndidi injury wasn't planned, I think the Vardy scenario was we'll do it now with a view to getting game time in that cup game and then play in the uh, from the start against Liverpool so we'll see what happens but that's what I would do and that's what you would do as well Rob what would you do out there um, do reply to any tweets or Facebook messages or however you want to get in contact with the podcast uh, for fox8podcast at gmail.com at ffspod and on Facebook as well just find us on there type in for fox8podcast and you can find us uh, make sure also you visit our sponsors footy kit market football kit market Dot com. Uh, they've got a new website, footballkitmarket.com, with plenty of football shirts from any era, any team, all sorts of bits and bobs on there. Check them out because they are our podcast sponsor, so you're doing us a favour as well. And uh, also give us a, a rating. So however you do listen to the podcast, whether you listen uh, via, say, uh, Apple iTunes or maybe on Spotify, just give us a quick rating out of five. Uh, very easy at the bottom of where you uh, listen to the podcast. And if you want to leave a comment, then please do. So get in contact with the podcast. Um, Fancy football, Rob. I think it's time for the top ten. Now, it's been a couple of game weeks since we did the top ten, so there's been plenty of changes in tenth place, up into tenth. It's Gareth Bell, Bulldogs Forever, 1,267 points. Uh, Non-mover at nine, Drake Martin, Drake Water, 1,268 points. Down into eighth place, Hunza Yazdani with FC Mordor, 1,274 points. Down into seventh place, Steve Curtin with FC Vladovic Barbers, 1,280 points. Up into sixth place, it's John Follows with JFC Leicester. 1,285 points. Top five. Into fifth place, uh, Tyler Hunya with Team Lau. 1,286 points. Up into fourth, John Almeida with Sagres United. 1,293 points. Up into third place, Joe Healy, Les Dennis. 1,298 points. And then top two, no change, a bit of a gap now between third and second. Luke Taylor, Taylor made 1,333. And in first place, Sam Lau with 1,355 points. So not a lot between, let's say, the third to tenth. There isn't an awful lot. Uh, For me, I had a really good week last week two weeks ago in theory in the world of fancy football and then last week a bit of a shocker so I'm only in 15th Uh, I was inside the top 10 
but uh, I've just dropped out. I'm about 13-odd points away from the top 10. It's very, very close between, say, what, 25th and arguably, you could actually say 25th to 3rd is really tight. Uh, the top two have somewhat pulled away from the field, but uh, now we'll see how it goes. Um, Rob? Yes, I'm up. I'm up this week. I'm up to 139th. I've got a green arrow next to my team name. Climbing. Slowly. Well, just not falling. I'm not, I wouldn't say climbing. I'd just say not falling. But yeah, um, I had a better week than you, which I don't get to say very often, so I'll say it. 43 points. I had a decent first day, but just a couple of decisions didn't quite turn out the way I wanted them to really and uh, which is pretty much the story of my fantasy football season nothing I try seems to be going well <laughs> I try and be solid and pick the predictable point scorers doesn't work try go a little bit left field bringing somebody a little bit rogue doesn't work try and read fantasy football blog posts and see when I should play the certain game chips doesn't work I'm, I genuinely might as well just set up my team on day one and have just left it, and I probably would be better off than I am now. In uh, a league that I'm part of, uh, not this uh, podcast league, a, a league with a few friends uh, for a few quid, uh, there is one person who actually has done that and left their team, and they are not bottom of the league. <laughs> so it uh, it just shows you. But uh, no, I, I had a real shocker, really. I had um, Sterling and Cancelo didn't play, which I think many people probably had as well. Uh, their replacements actually were fine, Smith Rowe and, and Maguire. Uh, but the rest of the side, I I kind of the, the way I've approached this fancy football. I had a wild card pick last week because my, my squad was a bit of a mess, and I think that's the best time to use it. People use it before double game weeks and all that sort of thing. I think you can plan for those, and that's what your free hit is for. But the wild card, if you just get to the point where you look at your team and going, hang on, my, my bench are all injured or not playing, and the team's just a mess. Use it; it's there to be used. So I've changed the side round and thank. Thank Christ, I've got uh, I've got a, a full defence or a full uh, bench, should I say, actually playing. So everyone's playing at least. Um, but I like to target a game and and go for it in that game. And I looked and Everton, yes, outplayed against Leicester, playing at home against Newcastle. And I thought this was going to be the game that maybe even tips Steve Bruce over the edge and, and he gets fired. Uh, so I went big. I had the two Everton forwards and also uh, Keane at the back. Well, you lose two at home. It's it's not going to go well, is it? In fancy football wise, so you know. There we go. That's why I had a bit of a shocker, but uh, but never mind. There's uh, there's plenty of time. There's plenty of time to recover. There's plenty of time to recover from this blip. Um, final thing, Rob. Really. Um, first of all, any other business uh, uh, apart from we should mention Demari Gray. Uh, Demari Gray leaving Leicester, gone to Leverkusen. What a couple of million quid or million euros, whatever. And I don't think there's really a lot to say because we've said it many times. Uh, good luck to him. Be interesting to see how he gets on. Very interesting. Wouldn't be surprised if he if he plays really well because I I am surprised he wasn't picked by. Well, I, I'd be surprised if there weren't the Premier League clubs who came in for him. But I'm surprised that he wasn't heavily linked with a number of clubs. And you know, someone like West Brom. Why not go to West Brom? And even if they go down, you could then be a starter in the championship and and, and go from there. I'm surprised other clubs, more mid-table clubs, Newcastle, 
I'm surprised they haven't been interested in this guy. Uh, I, I we we all know what he's like. We all know what he's like as a footballer. But I just can't understand why a Premier League club further down the league hasn't taken what ultimately wouldn't be a massive risk on a 24, 25 now year old um, Premier League winner with undoubted talent. I don't understand for, for no money really at all. Um, very strange. But good luck to him. Yeah, there were some rumours involving most of those teams you've mentioned there as well as Palace, I think, were thrown in as well. But, you know, if you're Damari Gray and you've not played a lot of football in the last couple of years and there's question marks over whether you can perform in in the top flight in England, then maybe it was a case of him fancying a bit of a fresh start. Uh, He's seen what progression... Uh, a few English players have managed to achieve in in the uh, in the German league, and maybe he just fancied it, and he just wanted to go and see if he can get some game time in uh, an in a league which has been supportive of younger English players, and and obviously he's not not that young anymore, but he, he, he hopefully he'll get his opportunity to show what he ca- what he could do in flashes and what he did do in flashes for Leicester City. Um, I think he probably would have just maybe he felt like he stagnated a bit in this country, so he's gone for a bit of a a fresh start. And I think um, Leverkusen have signed uh, who did they sign from? They signed a United player, didn't they? Um, can't remember his name now, but they've got uh, they've they've signed a, uh, another English player as well there, or player that's played in England for United for a few years. So it's not like he's going over there into a into a country where he doesn't know the language and and a team full of people he doesn't know or doesn't speak the language of I think it would just be a case of get out there nobody really knows who he is out there probably and a chance to almost start afresh really yeah more power to players who decide to take what would be certainly not the easy option by going to Germany or France or Spain or wherever in the world to play football why not if he was I mean, who knows, maybe in a few weeks' time, if he's broken into their team, there could well, I'm sure, there'll be plenty of journalists who are looking at Damari Gray, uh, even journalists closely associated with Leicester, who may well go over and, and give it a, a month or so and and do a piece on Damari Gray. And I'd be interested to hear his story at Leicester. He mentioned in his kind of farewell post um, regarding his, his time, the plenty ups and downs, I think there's actually it'll be an interesting story to hear from from Demari's point of view what happened with the various managers you know not just say Brendan Rodgers but uh, of course all the other managers you're going all the way back uh, with Demari Gray to uh, to Claudio Ranieri so it's it, it will be a, a very interesting story and also to see how he how he gets on because again I think there would have been uh, far easier places to go but uh, yeah fair play to him and uh, and we'll see what happens because. I think there could well be, at the start of next season, two, three, four players who we look back on and, and, and see them now playing for other clubs as Leicester start to progress forward and, and, and move into another gear. Um, what we just don't hope is that uh, some of the players that are left behind are players we've signed for pretty good money on, on big wages and unfortunately have to keep them on. It's going to be the case, obviously, but as we as we hopefully progress to a top four side, then... Uh, one or two might fall by the wayside and we might need them to step up in the next few games. Hopefully, six points are on order. Predictions times. I'm going to go, Rob, for a 1-0 win against Fulham. And 
Well, I'll, tell you, I'll go for Fulham, uh, a 1-0 win for Leicester at Fulham. What's your prediction? Oh, that's tight, isn't it? 1-0. Uh, I'll go 2-0 then. And I'll let you go first then for uh, the Wolves game. I am going 1-0 Leicester away at Wolves. Two clean sheets, six points. Do you know what? I was going to go for 1-0 as well. I was going to go for a double 1-0 win. Um Okay, I'll go for I'll go for um no I'll stick with two I'll stick with one nil. Yeah, a couple of one nil wins. Why not? Um against shot shy, goal shy teams. We know what's gonna happen now. But there we go. Anyway, thanks for listening to for Fox Eight Podcast. Again, follow us on social media at FFS Pod. Also on Facebook, just type in for Fox Eight Podcast and also uh, if you want to get in contact via email for whatever reason, uh, then for fox sake podcast at gmail.com is the email address. Uh, by the way, the club still don't have any maroon shirts, so we're still waiting to hand out the prize from before Christmas, Rob. Unbelievable. The start of, I think it was, it was early December, and we're still waiting for the club to get appropriate sizes for uh, their maroon shirts. Obviously not the club's fault, um, but it just shows you what a mess the world's in at the moment. I know this isn't exactly top of the priority list, but there you go. Mm-hmm.